Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I had the great surprise pleasure of meeting an author who writes about cats in a way I have never read anyone else write about cats. Delightful, funny, insightful, genuine, loving. And how did I meet her? Because her husband's a filmmaker, and he submitted one of his films to the Cat Film Festival, and I felt very bad to have to turn it down. And the reason was it was too arty. And I have discovered, <laughs> yes, Katie, Katie Hagley is an extraordinary author, and her husband is an extraordinary filmmaker, but as the sixth annual Cat, New York Cat Film Festival looms on the horizon, I have learned my lesson, which is that the audience doesn't like Artie. We filmish oh. people are like, yeah, Artie's great. I can be patient. I can wait and see where this is going. It, it's, you know, it, it has a look and a feel that's full of mystery. No, they want to hmm. understand exactly what the movie's about and where it's going. And I get that. And the, hmm. the film festival is there to delight and engage the people who love cats and benefit and promote the, the various rescues that are our partners and beneficiaries around the country. But I, I don't want to push it with their patience. So the great bonus was that Joseph, thank goodness, wrote and said, you know, my partner, I hate when people say that when it's their wife, but never mind. People like the word partner. You're not a law firm. Has has written these wonderful this wonderful book, Cats I've Known, on love, loss, and being graciously ignored, and also cat zines, these little booklets, pamphlets, gorgeous 
little creations full of drawings like graphic novels. Katie, this is the greatest surprise I ever had. It's a gift from the Cat oh. Film Festival to me, is to discover you as an author. You, you're you published by this amazing publisher in Portland, Oregon. You're in Philadelphia. And this That's publisher right. is out of this world, like it's neo-publishing. What happens when big publishing becomes like big box stores and all of the publishers gobbled each other up and it's mostly no, they don't want to publish the stuff that they can't wrap their heads around or make a buck off or whatever it is. I mean, publishing is gotten so big, it sort of devoured itself. And this beautiful book, Cats I've Known, is produced by a publisher I'd love you to tell us about, Microcosm Publishing. And then, of course, we'll talk about your incredible cat stories. I mean, if I can't even, it's not even fair to compare you to some of my very famous, favorite authors, the famous ones, but I compare you favorably to all of them in terms of I can't stop reading what you write. It's just so delightful. Oh, thank you. So congratulations. You. And I do want to say to anyone listening who are part of my lovely listeners who have neither a cat nor a dog, but just know I have great topics and great guests. Please buy this book, Cats I've Known, on love, loss, and being graciously ignored. It's about life. It's about people. It's about neighborhoods. It's about the world. It's so great. And there is a little note inside Microcosm Publishing that explains how it exists, and it's on post-consumer paper and amazingly illustrated, like the coolest graphic novels are. It says, if you bought this on Amazon, I'm so sorry. You could have gotten it cheaper and supported a small <laughs> independent publisher at microcosmpublishing.com. So I put that out there to you folks. 75 or 85% of books sold are sold on Amazon I read recently. So please buy this directly from Microcosm Publishing because otherwise they won't exist and we'll just uh, be at the dangled at the end of a thread by by the the, the usual publishing behemoth mm -hmm. empire talk about how you found them or how they found you and this amazing book and then these cat zines that you also make with them okay thanks tracy i'd be glad to um let's see i've known microcosm for gosh maybe 20 years or so now for just about as long as i've been making zines myself and zines are if you've never seen them they're self-published small usually small um publications they look uh, pamphlets you might call them uh they tend to be like saddle stitched or you know uh, stapled and um it's it's just like a, a a community and a culture that's existed for a long time now that i found to be a wonderful home for my writing and a wonderful community and way to meet people who are like-minded and, and really feel a part of an artist community. So I started doing that in my 20s. Wow. And I was, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it remains a big part of my life, too. Um, and that's how I knew about Microcosm in, in the early days. It was Joe Beale, the founder of the publisher, um, primarily ran it as a, as a distributor of people's self-published oh, things. Oh, that's and interesting. Other, like, right. So, so, like, you could, or, and you still can, order zines there and other things to other uh, independently produced things like films and, and uh, tapes and all kinds of stuff. And um, they carried some of my zines early on and uh, or early on in my, my making of them. 
And, um, we, you know, we became friends and just had a, a, a nice professional relationship for a long time. And they published my very first book, which was called White Elephants. And it was a memoir. It, it started actually started as a zine series and um, in which I wrote about going to yard sales with my mom. Nice. And, <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so it was, yeah, it was about yard sales, but it was also, and the stuff we found there, but it was, of course, also about our relationship, you know, the relationship I had with my mother and other things that happened in my life, because uh, that's the way I write. And so, you know, I, they put out that book, and as, as they were getting more seriously into, uh, you know, being a publisher of books, and they've grown hugely since then and have put out more books of mine, including this, this cat's one. Which is heaven. I mean, and I, I just can't say enough good things about a publisher that, that keeps art alive. I, I have never fully understood graphic novels. I mean, Mouse is, of course, very famous for many reasons, both yeah. because it was brilliant and won awards and then was uh, kept off of the shelves in some horrible places where books are kept, libraries where books are kept off shelves, shocking, and then everybody bought more of it. But I'm, I haven't understood graphic novels, but your zines, which I thought were called zines, because that's what a dope I am, but now I get it, magazines, <laughs> um, are mm -hmm. like little comic books, but but artful. I mean, yes. very artful, very grown up. I mean, I, I did read Archie comics when I was a kid. And this isn't anything <laughs> like that, but it is kind of marvelous because it's a whole little universe with these stories and drawings and I guess you call them captions or thought bubbles or dialogue and bubbles. It's so great. And there's stories yeah. and comics yeah. about cats, which yeah. is just so, how cool is that to anyone who <laughs> wants something outside the ordinary and where cats are concerned and writing about them, creative writing about them, loose, free, you know, engaging writing about them is I would say impossible to find, certainly few and far between, but fairly impossible. People tell meat and potatoes stories. You tell stories that wind off in all kinds of directions in the most fabulous way. What I'd like to do is ask you to mm -hmm. read a chapter from Cats I've Known, because sure. there's my just saying, oh, it's so great. Oh, she's so wonderful. Oh, her use of language is so wonderful. It just is like, okay, prove it. So I would love you to read the first chapter that's called Ophelia, but each chapter has a name, which is all the many cats you've known, but it's also the places you've lived and the people that surrounded the cats. And yeah. it's like, I, I, what's divine about them, I mean, really divine, is there's just two pages. So you could read yeah. it before going to sleep. You could read it while waiting for the water to boil for the rice. You could read it while you're waiting for an appointment. Please just don't always pick up your dopey phone when you have a moment that you feel is extra. Have this book in your pocket or, or in your purse or your messenger bag or whatever's cool place to carry things in. Pull it out. Open it anywhere. In the time it takes you to not pollute your mind with some nonsense on your phone, you could be reading something so nutritious for your heart and soul. So if you would read Ophelia which is the first chapter in the book, it just, it says everything that I've just said, but in your words. Well, thank you. Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, all right, chapter one, Ophelia. Ophelia was beautiful and aloof and the first cat I ever knew. She was my mother's cat, 
and the cat never liked anyone but her. My mom got Ophelia when she was 16, which is why she gave her that fanciful name. They were reading Hamlet in school. Her neighbor's cat had kittens, and she was invited over to choose one. The girl who would become my mother peered down into a cardboard box in her neighbor's garage, and all but one of the kittens scrambled around trying to get her attention. The one she liked best was pure white with bright green eyes, and that one sat away from all the others in a corner and paid no attention to my mother at all. I like a cat that has personality, my mom explained. Her preferred personality, I guess, being grouchy. (laughs) (laughs) Still, the cat had gumption. After high school, but before she got married, when my mother still lived with her parents in the old neighborhood, she had a bedroom on the third floor. She liked to sit in the window seat up there and read, and her cat, when she could manage it, liked to sneak out the open window and tiptoe around the eaves of the roof, three stories up, 30 feet in the air, like a tightrope walker. Ophelia had a partner in crime in that house, too, Tuesday the dog. The cat would jump up to the shelf on the pantry where the dog food was kept and knock the bag over so that it spilled out onto the floor where the dog was waiting to gobble it up. I don't know if the dog ever did anything for the cat in return. (laughs) Ophelia lived to be 19, pretty old for a cat. Long enough for my mother to finish high school and go on countless dreary Friday night dates with boys from the neighborhood, start working in an office downtown, meet my dad there, get married, leave the cat with my grandparents when her new husband got a job in one foreign country, then another, return home a few years later, have a baby, then a second one. I was six when her beloved old cat died and was unable to imagine my mother existing before I did. But when it happened, that's what she grieved for, all those years and things she'd lived through with her constant, quiet companion as a witness. With the cat gone, there was no longer a through line from that time to the present, and her past lifted up into the air and disappeared with nothing to anchor it. I tell you, that's just a perfect short story, a perfect memoir bite. It's just everything about it's perfect. You tell so many stories in telling the story of Ophelia. And that very last line is why this book is so just genuinely yummy. And her past lifted up into the air and disappeared with nothing to anchor it. And how many people think about those cats in particular because they tend to be so much more long-lived than dogs. But even back in the day, dogs lived to 15, lots of dogs. Mm. Before we started doing the uh, ignorant things that we've done that have shortened dogs' lives sort of in Mm. half, I'd say, a, a topic for another time. And we've shortened our cats' lives in half by feeding them dry food. Another time for that conversation. But there are people who the only constant they have had through their childhood, through young adulthood, into marriage, into babies, is a cat. And this book is just so full of that sense of how valuable cats are and what they mean to us. And it's really never proselytizing. It's what they meant to you. It's the feeling you had when you saw them. You and your husband have this adorable habit wherever you are, including a, a month sabbatical that you had in Reykjavik, Iceland, of counting cats, going on walks and counting <laughs> cats. And that's just such a cool story also. Take a minute to talk about that because it's another thing that that's about you and your life and cats and something that other people could relate to or maybe adopt as a new habit. How, how did you develop that habit? 
Oh, gosh. Well, okay. So we are cat lovers, as you probably have gathered. Yes. And so we, you know, we, we will, we have cats of our own at, at most of the time. Um, but we also really enjoy the neighborhood cats and our neighbor's cats and all these like auxiliary, like pets, you know, yes. friends, cat friends. And uh, get a huge kick out of seeing them as we walk around on people's porches or looking at us through windows, you know. And I, and so we always would, would, uh, take note of them. Um, and we, and we like to go for nice long walks around together. Um, and then I, you know, I think really during the, the lockdowns of the pandemic, when there was so little to do, yes. so, like, so, so yes. we really couldn't go anywhere. We could leave the house and be outdoors, but that True. was, that was it. So the walks became like a lifeline and we did, we did them so much and we, we came up with all kinds of ways to entertain ourselves <laughs> and that was one of them. It was <laughs> to, darling. You know, make a bit of a game of it. Thank you. Yeah, we made a game of it. We, we took to counting them and categorizing them because the distinction was important to us with a, whether we spotted one that was indoors looking out at us or whether it was an outdoor one. And then, oh, then we got very silly and... Joe made charts and graphs of this information. <laughs> yeah, so these were desperate times. Let's not forget yeah. how horrible it was, our disconnection oh, from yeah. everybody and everything during COVID. And you made, you made cats part of the, the game of a, a new way of living until we could go back to a new, new way of living. It's yes. it's absolutely yes. terrific. I I just we have to wind up on time, Katie. But I just want to say again, Katie Hagley, cats I've known on love, loss, and being graciously ignored. Please write to microcosmpublishing.com or go to their website. You can get her book there and support this incredible, cool publisher, but also her cat zines, which are I mean we could spend hours talking about them. They're beautiful. They're charming. They're funny. They're surprising. They're they're nothing you would have ever seen before, and isn't that a miracle in this day and age? Thank you, Katie. Thank you for caring so much about cats and and also telling your story and your mother's story and your neighbor's story. I just want to quickly say you have a neighbor in one of the chapters in Cats I've Known, this mm. oddball guy that collects junk, <laughs> and you're so non-judgy, and you're so non-critical while being judgmental and critical in looking at what he has accumulated and how he lives. But you live mm -hmm. alongside it, and I think it, the book is just full of love and tolerance for all creatures, no matter how many mm. legs they have. And, and it's a beautiful book, and the zines are extraordinary. So thank you again to your husband for making a good movie that just didn't fit the Cat Film Festival this year. And you please keep oh, yeah. on writing your wonderful writing. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thanks a lot, Tracy. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the Hybrid Dog Food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs> 